Well, it's great to be here um, and again sharing with you the Word of God. God has chosen an instrument, God's chosen instrument, Paul. We're looking at his story today. Back in the day, oh, first of all, let's pray. Most important, we trust God to speak to us. Lord, as we open your word, we pray, may it be that your spirit will open our minds and speak to us in our hearts and minds your word that will be particularly suited for us, Lord. Please, we pray, be our teacher this morning. We look to you in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, back in the day, there was a, a drover in the outback and right out the west of New South Wales. And uh, he and his family, he'd never really been to the Big Smoke. And uh, he and his family uh, one day said, well, let's go and have a break and go to Sydney. Um, so they hopped on a train or whatever they did, and they got to Sydney, and uh, they stayed at a motel, and they decided to go downtown, and, and um, mum wanted to go into a shop, and dad said, off you go, and, and had, they had a little boy. So dad and the boy were standing out there, and then he looked into another building, and he looked, and said, let's go inside and have a look in there. And he went inside, and there was, a, there was a big sort of door. He didn't realise it was a lift. An elevator for those from America. <laughs> and he didn't know what it was. And suddenly, um, th this old woman who was bent over with a cane walked into, and it opened up, and she walked in, and just a box, and then it closed. And she said, What's going on there? What's she doing in there? And a little bit later, it opened again, and out walked this young blonde. <laughs> and he didn't take his eyes off her, and he patted his son on the head and said, go and get your mum quickly. <laughs> Have you ever seen that TV show, Makeovers? Where, you know, the family and friends come and see what they've done to this person, normally a woman. I don't know, it's both, but anyway. Um, and they reveal, and suddenly, ooh, is that you? Um, transformation is something that does happen. Uh, it doesn't happen in a lift. And if it's a makeover, it's just outward, right? It's just outward. We're talking today about conversion, where a person is totally made over, transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's an inward transformation of mind and heart. We look at the conversion of Paul, and it's one of the most significant conversions in history. When Jesus said, I will build my church, Saul's conversion is primarily a story about Jesus, who chose this man to actually be um, uh, an instrument in his hands to absolutely shape the church and its mission uh, to the ends of the earth. The undeniable truth of the resurrection of Christ resulted in his conversion. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and it was Jesus' last appearance uh, 
on earth in the New Testament. So Jesus builds his church by the presence and power of his spirit. And here, through the remarkable, life-changing transformation of the man Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Three times in the book of Acts, this story is told. First of all, this narrative. And then in chapter 22 and chapter 26, Paul tells of his conversion. And and it's written down by, um, by Luke for the purpose. It's so important. It's an absolute major transformation that affected the church. So we're going to look today in this chapter, we have Saul, first of all, meeting Jesus, then meeting Ananias, and then meeting Barnabas. And so I've called these the crisis of his conversion when he met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it's his call to faith. Then we have his commitment, the commitment of his conversion when he met with Ananias, and and there he put his faith in Christ and he he was saved. And then thirdly, his connection that followed with Barnabas, he's a call to fellowship and working and and incorporated into the body of Christ, the church. First of all, then the crisis of his conversion. God's grace in choosing him. It's an amazing truth. He was chosen before he was born, it says, he says, and as he writes to the Galatian Christians, he says, In chapter 1, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he knew that God had chosen him as as Ananias himself said, this man is my chosen instrument, um, God had said. Uh, Then Christ took this this, uh, greatest enemy of the church, the apostle, I mean, sorry, uh, Saul of Tarsus, and turned him into his greatest servant, the apostle Paul. He was chosen to play that crucial role, uh, and without his influence, as I said, the the, um, infant church would have failed or could have failed in its mandate. Stephen's blood seemed to give him a taste for blood. And Saul, it says in chapter 8, verse 3, after he began to destroy the church and went from house to house and he dragged men and women off to prison. And the word used there that he began to destroy the church was a word that in the Greek was ravage. And it was like the wild animal that would ravage its prey and tear it in strips to eat it. And that's the word that was used there of Saul's seeking to destroy the church. He became the leader of the persecution against the church. And in chapter 26, we read, he says, I was convinced when he speaks to Agrippa, he says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that it and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put, I put many of the saints in prison and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. This man had a mission. 
He wanted this church dead and gone. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And the greatest enemy became the greatest servant because of God's grace and purpose. Galatians 1.3, he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church beyond measure. Breathing out threats, we read in this chapter. Breathing out threats and murder, he asked for the letters to go to uh, the synagogues in Damascus and destroy uh, the Christians. Paul always looked at his conversion as a work of sovereign grace. He was so set, so opposed to Christ, and suddenly he was so full-on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3 verse 12, Jesus Christ took hold of me, he says. He took hold of me. It's, it's the word grasp or to seize with a purpose, Saul. And then again in 1 Timothy, I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Here is a worthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So when we look at the grace of God, we say, there's not a person in the world that's beyond the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Who is the most unsavable person that you know? Think about it. Is there someone you think in your mind, think, oh, that person. It would be almost impossible to see that person come to faith. We used to do tent outreaches when I was an evangelist, a traveling evangelist, and churches were joined together and we had a big tent and we had a team and stuff like that. We did a tent outreach in, um, in an area of New Zealand. And at that tent uh, meetings, it was 10 days every night, basically. And we had a woman who came in all in black. She sat down near the front. She came, she didn't talk to anyone. As soon as it was over, she left every, every night. On the final night, she came forward and gave her life to Christ. Her name was Allie. She was a Satanist. She was married, she had been married to the high priest of the Satanist so-called church. She used to go with her other friend, a girl, another girl, sent into churches in the district in order to try and lure the pastor into an intimate relationship in order to bring disgrace. I mean, she was full on. And as I've been thinking about who do I know that would have, I would have thought would have been most amazing um, conversion, I think of her. After she came to Christ, within a week she'd read the whole New Testament. She joined a local church, and I've actually lost touch with her, but I've, I just uh, 
I just saw that transformation, and I was, it, it's a, it was such a thrill. God can change anyone. And so keep praying for those ones, keep witnessing, keep being Christ to them. But God's grace, not only in um, choosing the, uh, this man Saul, but also in preparing him. God prepared him for this moment when he was converted. He was familiar with all the major people groups of his day. He was prepared by God to be the perfect person, to be God's instrument to spearhead the mission to the Gentiles, which includes most of us, if not all. He was a Jew by birth, but he was a Roman by citizenship. He was a Greek by education and culture, and he was a Christian by God's grace. Tarsus, where he grew up, was one of the three centres of Grecian culture. Uh, the universities of Athens and Alexandra and Tarsus were the three major centres. At the age of 14, Saul was sent by his parents to Jerusalem to be taught as a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, to become a, a Pharisee. And he was under Gamaliel, perhaps the greatest Hebrew intellectual of that day. So he became a Pharisee, zealous for Israel and for God's law. But all of that was preparing him for what God had for him. He was prepared, thirdly, because of God's grace, God's grace in goading him, as we read in the scripture here. Uh, a goad is a, a long, a hard, uh, spiked rod, a long, sharp stick, if you like. It was used to get an ox to move the way you want it to, or a stubborn ox to get it to cooperate. You just jab it, and it has to move. And so he says that he was goaded by God. How did God goad him? First of all, I believe he was goaded by the witness. I'm talking about the scripture that says it's hard to kick against the goads, or I think in the authorised version it says pricks, but it's talking about that goad. It's, that's the word is goad. And, and Jesus said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're fighting something that is prodding you. So first of all, he was goaded by the witness of the persecuted believers. All these ones that he had thrown into prison and killed, and all the ones that he had come across, even Stephen especially, as he watched and was probably the instigator of the murder of Stephen. All these ones were witnessing to him. And it makes me think, you know, when you're at work or in, the, in university or in the workplace or at school, wherever you might be, and you get a hard time from someone, they're watching your response to that. And God will use your response to that. Love. When I saw that V up there, I thought it must be love that was up here. But anyway, uh, love in response to hatred. He was goaded also by doubts. <laughs> he must have heard Stephen's 
absolute amazing message that, that answered all the challenges. And then he was on his way uh, on this journey that he was on, on the road to Damascus. And it takes about six days to walk there. And he was with the, the police of the pre, high priest. And he had nothing to do as a Pharisee with those priests. So he had to walk alone. They walked separately the way it was back then. So for 230 kilometres from Jerusalem to Damascus, walking alone, thinking about these things, and then God in Christ met him on that road when he was just about at Damascus. I wouldn't be surprised if he was thinking about all these things and the doubts about this man, Jesus, were very strong. I tell you what, it wasn't. And the next day after he was converted, he was out there proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. <laughs> that doesn't happen overnight unless you've been thinking about it. And he was fighting Fighting, fighting that truth that was getting through to him. And so he who had intended to enter Damascus like a warrior was led in by the hand, blind and helpless. And at once, it says, he began to preach Jesus as the Son of God. He was goaded also by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We never know what's going on in the heart of of anyone, your family or your friends or your workmates, whoever it might be, they can be the most absolutely opposed to Christ and you don't know what the Spirit of God is doing in them. They might be fighting it, but trust Him. He works by His grace, by His Spirit. In Romans 7, Paul says, When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God. But I see in my members another law, waging against the law of my mind. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He was, he was struggling with his own righteousness even. He knew that he failed, uh, especially on the last commandment. You shall not covet. And I've got there on the screen... The fourth one is the possibility of encountering Jesus. For three years, Jesus was in public ministry and Paul, being a Pharisee, had to go to Jerusalem at least three times for the three major feasts. And Jesus was there at the feasts, preaching and, and he was well known. I'm sure he would have had encounters with Jesus over those years. And all of that was worked on as God goaded him, as God moved within him to bring him to the place of repentance and faith. And finally, God's grace in meeting him. The personal encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Um, he said, who are you, Lord? Of course, Pharisees didn't believe uh, that you could actually uh, see the Lord God because they wouldn't even use his name uh, they, they use other words because they didn't like to use his name. And to see him face to face was just unbelievable. But this is what happened. And Jesus replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
And so he, he humbled himself. He surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And he says, what shall I do, Lord? We read in chapter 22, verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? Bowing to Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one born out of due time, or born prematurely, because everyone else will see him when we get to heaven. The, the crisis of his conversion. Then we see the commitment of his, of his conversion, that he uh, now meets with Ananias, now, in meeting with Ananias, um, there was something that happened here. He was in the city, in the straight street, which went from east to west, right across the, uh, the city of Damascus. And God sent Ananias. Now, Ananias balked at the idea. Maybe it was fear, or maybe it was the thinking that it would be folly. Fancy going to see this man who is there in this very city just to grab Christians like him and, and kill them or drag them to Jerusalem for that. But God convinced him to go and he obeyed and he went. And notice his words when he met, G when he met Saul. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. And he laid hands on him, his eyes were opened, uh, like the scales fell off Saul's eyes and he was able to see again. And then we see that his commitment, first of all, of faith. Saul's conversion was not complete without someone sent by God as a servant to personally be involved. And I, I like that. Um, it could have happened without Ananias. But God uses us. God doesn't just, he does save people and sometimes there's amazing things that happen, but God is in the habit of using people, using people, using you, me, as we heard the other week, ordinary people to share and be a part of the process of people coming to faith in Christ. So in chapter 22, um, Ananias says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Calling on his name. That means trusting in who he is, the son of God, and calling on trusting Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's exactly what he did at this point. So he wasn't converted on the road to Damascus. There was a part of the conversion that happened there. But here he actually trusted in the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Then the commitment of obedience, he was baptized. Now his baptism was an expression of that faith. He, he and we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. Baptism doesn't save anybody. Otherwise, it's works and no one is saved by works lest anyone should boast. No, it is not an outward right that saves us. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves us and faith in him allows that to happen. Baptism is then an expression of that faith. 
I've trusted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Now I am baptised as an outward expression to everybody to say, as a witness, I now belong to Christ. And you know, in some countries even today, when a person turns to faith in Christ, even if they make it known, they're not sometimes persecuted, certainly not as much as when they're baptised. When they're baptised, it's when the persecution begins. It's the outward saying, I've finished with that previous religion, belief, lifestyle, whatever, and now I'm following Christ. Have you been baptised? Because it's the first expression of obedience that we should show our commitment to Christ by being baptised. And thirdly, our commitment of bearing witness for him. As uh, verse 15 says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We are saved in order to serve. We are saved in order to be a witness. He doesn't just save us so that we can go to heaven and ah, everything's hunky-dory. Let's sit back and watch TV and do nothing. We are saved to serve. Chapter 22, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So his crisis of his conversion and the commitment of his conversion, now the connection that followed his conversion. And this is where... Uh, we didn't read this, uh, this in the passage, but it's in chapter 9 we read on, we find that Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas had a role to play here. So he met Jesus, he met Ananias, and now he meets Barnabas. He went to Jerusalem. He had to flee. They let him out of, I mean, in, in, in uh, uh, Damascus, he was... Uh, so powerful in his preaching and such an amazing witness. And the people there were expecting to come and, 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 and uh, destroy all the Christians. Uh, and suddenly this change, and it resulted in the, 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 a lot of the Jews at that, in that city going around trying to find and wanting to kill Saul. And they let him out at the window and he went down and he escaped and he went to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, nobody wanted anything to do with him. None of the Christians know they knew what this man was like. And um, yet, Barnabas lived up to his name. The word means son of encouragement. He was the one who came alongside Saul and said, Saul, come with me. I'll stand with you as we meet with the Christians there. And he convinced them that this man Saul was a changed man. Our church needs to be a community of grace with a sense that all are accepted. And, and, and uh, we fellowship is such an important part of the Christian life. <sighs> Christ ordained the church. Yeah, he instituted, I will build my church. But it wasn't an institution starting on its own that just evolved out of the fact that there were a bunch of Christians. So let's get together and do stuff. This was 
His intent, Jesus' intent was to build the church. The church, the family of believers, the connection of all Christians together in the universal church and then in local church fellowships with the leadership and so on. It's God's plan. It's important to be a part of a church fellowship as a Christian. It's what God designed. It's what Christ wanted and he said, I will build it. So what about you and I? As you'll see up there, your conversion. Have you been converted? Is it for real? Or you just come along to Christian life, you're brought up in it, or just happen to be uh, interested in coming along, but... Have you really been converted? Is there evidence that there has been a, a, an absolute work of God's spirit in you, that you've been born again, that you really do belong to Christ? We're called to a faith that is personal. We're called to follow, to be baptized and then continue in a life of obedience. And we're called to fellowship, not just attendance, but fellowship, sharing together, praying for one another, helping one another, supporting one another, giving, and um, whatever else is involved in the whole sense of family fellowship. That's what we're called to as God's people. So may the amazing story of this man, Saul, be a challenge to us because really when you look at it, the call to faith, to follow and to fellowship is the same for everybody. It may not be as dramatic, it won't be as dramatic as Saul. But it's got to be there. Conversion. Conversion from being a Christian by name to being a Christian in reality by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, may we take this example of what you did in the life of Saul and may we, in our desire to be a witness to those around us who we may see almost impossible to come to faith, have faith to trust you to do what no man can do. And may we also apply it to our own lives that we may be truly people of faith, people who follow and people who fellowship. For your glory in Jesus' name.